Well, good morning to each of you. I don't know if you've ever been sitting in the pew and you're supposed to be getting up front to speak and then you realize your notes aren't in your Bible. Uh, that went through my mind and I realized, oh, I think they're in my computer case, so let me double check. Wonderful. I was pretty sure I put them there. I just didn't have them <clears throat> where I wanted them. I appreciate the thoughts you shared, Jason. Uh, that is a lengthy topic and one I won't expound on further except to say that that has been a challenge to me. And in early on in Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he gave the instruction to not lay up treasure on earth, but lay up treasure in heaven. But he didn't say how to do it. If you do a study of Scripture, though, you find out what that is. So I'll leave it at that. You are told how to lay up treasure in heaven. We are told, and uh, might be worth doing some digging there. I've created my own cross-reference in my Bible because it links to some verses that uh, the printed cross-reference doesn't have there. So I find it interesting as you study through that topic. This morning I'd like to share on a topic that was given as a suggestion, and hopefully I can do it justice. It's one that as I began to develop the sermon, I realized that there was much material that I won't be able to cover. There's some things I'm going to miss, and yet it's something I do feel fairly passionate about. It's something that affects everybody in one way or another. And so for those of you, I see we have a number of visitors here. Welcome. Uh, glad to have you here. If you've not been familiar with the teaching that's happened here at the church, uh, this, uh, the request came as an extension of a series that I did on assurance of salvation. I also, within the last year, did a series on parenting, child raising, and uh, actually one on children's responsibilities. And this particular sermon blends the two of those. But the question that was asked me, and this came after the assurance of salvation, uh, the question was, how do parents affect that dynamic of assurance of salvation? And so I'm Probably not going to get it directly answered in the way it was asked, but I'd like to cast a picture this morning of the type of impact that we have as parents on the next generation. So children, this isn't something directed at you in particular, but many of you will become parents, and so for what part of this sticks, and you can remember for 10, 20, 30 years down the road, uh, wonderful. Let this be a foundation for that. And I think the truth is that much of what is said here can apply outside of family relationships. Really what it applies to is when people have influence over other people's lives, what is the impact that happens? And a primary one is within the family uh, because of relationship structure. So I have a 
have titled this Principled and Positive Parenting. And I named it that because you could take the opposites of those two descriptors and it would sadly be a summary of what some parenting styles are. They are neither principled, they are very haphazard, they are without a core value system, and sadly, they're negative. The good news is that it doesn't have to be that. It can be something much better. Children learn from their parents, and that's, I guess, fairly obvious, but I'm saying it to say a couple of other things. And that is that it happens both by intention, through structure and deliberate teaching, it also happens by default. Just in daily living, children learn from our parents. They learn from their teachers. They learn from their friends. Uh, you all have maybe heard of this word osmosis. In biology and chemistry, it's a technical term. And let's see, yeah, I do have that technical definition on there in which solvents, I'm not going to read it, but solvents pass through semi-porous membranes and they equalize on either side of the membrane, the different characteristics. Well, there's another definition. It's the process of gradual or unconscious assimilation of ideas and knowledge, etc. That's the way I'm using it here. And that's what happens with the people that we're around. <clears throat> and parents, we do this all the time. The culture we create in our homes, the way that we interact with other people, our children are learning even when we don't think we're teaching them. It's a very practical thing that uh, sometimes slaps me in the face because I, it's so easy to get caught up in the moment and in the daily routine. And then I remember, oh, I am teaching by default, if not by intention. And you all have heard the, the phrase, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Often that's used in a negative context. It's a stereotype. Not always true. But the truth of the stereotype is that that kind of direct influence that we have, we typically pass down to the people around us, particularly our children. So if we don't like uh, character traits that we have, or maybe that our children have, we maybe ought to look at the tree and see where the apples are falling from. Absorption, assimilation, taking on the qualities or characteristics of the surrounding environment. Truth is we tend to forget and that's why I put it down here. We tend to forget. It's human nature that has to be counteracted with intention and with methods that increase the likelihood of retention. God wants us and our children to remember. And I'd like to read a couple of passages here. Actually, have you read them with me uh, from Deuteronomy 4 and Psalm 78. I'll have them on the screen. And these are, this is kind of a basis of what I'd like for us to to remember as we think about the impact that we have on our children. So first of all, from Deuteronomy 4, if you would read with me. For what great nation is there that God so near to it, as the Lord our God is to us, for whatever reason we may call upon Him? 
And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you this day? Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren." especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, and I will let them hear the words, that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children. Before we go to Psalm 78, I'd like to just note this. In verse 9, he's saying... Take heed, lest you forget. And then verse 10, he shifts, teach them. Verse 10, 10, then we go to, especially the day they met God at Mount Sinai. He's saying, especially remember to tell them about that. Don't let them forget that God came down and visited you. And I think this is one of the key things that we as parents need to do. The tendency is to forget. God wants us to remember. He wants us to tell our children so they can remember, especially the time when God came and met you. Pass that on to the next generation and their children. Will your grandchildren know what kind of a man grandpa was, what kind of a woman grandma was? What about great-grandma and grandpa? Unfortunately for me, Three of my biological grandparents uh, I never knew. I knew some step-grandparents, but I heard stories. I wish I would have heard more. We should keep those stories alive of God's faithfulness. Let's go to Psalm 78, and I'd like for you to note the generations that are listed here all together. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide from them, children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. For He established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded to our fathers that they should make it known to their children that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments." and may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright, and whose spirit was not faithful to God. If I were to highlight that last passage, it would look something like this. There's four generations of knowing God's ways. Excuse me. He established a testimony and a law, and then you've got the four generations. Our fathers, their children, the generation to come, and then their children. And then verses 7 and 8, that they would set their hope in God, not forget, keep His commandments, and not be like their fathers. 
Isn't that a sad statement? He's saying here, don't be like dad was. Don't be like the previous generations. Why? It's because they're, they forgot. And they didn't keep the commandments they had. That's why he gives them that admonition. As responsible as parents are, children are also responsible. And I want to throw this out at the beginning because God created people with choice. Sometimes you will have good godly parents and children that made bad choices. Sometimes you will have children that made excellent choices coming out of a bad situation. And that's the good news, is that while parents have a responsibility and we should do everything we can, ultimately, as children grow up and mature, they have a responsibility and they have a choice to make. So the call this morning is for, it's twofold. It's for those of us who are in the parenting side that we're faithful. We do what we ought to do. And the call is also to young people and children to remember, you can't blame it all on mom and dad. You've got a choice. And we have to make the right choices. Every person is accountable to God for their choices. The parent is not the only directive in a child's decision-making, although they are primary. And then the letter F I just put on the screen, parents should train and give them the best possible opportunity for success. Now that is God's definition of success, not people's. Uh, God has a, his own definition that sets its own standard. People are complex. Life is complicated or can be. And you have varied parts of life that are all intertwined, and it's not as easy as you do this and you get this. It's not a mathematical formula. But there are things that you can do to help that weight what happens, uh, the results. So think about this. this. This is the varied parts of life. You've got spiritual life. You have emotional well-being. You have spiritual uh, you have physical health, you have intellectual, educational development, you have social skills, you have vocational choices, and they're all blended together. And many times, one affects the other. So parents should do all they can to give the best opportunity for success by God's standard. So let's make another statement here. Parents impact children. You're probably saying, well, duh. Yeah, I know. And I'm making a couple of really obvious statements because we have to build on those. They, they are obvious, but just like we said before, we tend to forget. It's the human tendency. In the, even though it's obvious, in the middle of stress, busyness, just life in general, or self-centeredness, we tend to forget, sadly, and... Uh, we need to be reminded of it. And so that's why I'm, I'm bringing it up this morning in this kind of a way. Children learn from their parents, and parents impact their children. This can be for positive effects and negative effects on 
uh, on the children, the way that we interact. It doesn't have to be negative. Let's make it positive. It can be either. We all have choices, and in those choices, there's good and bad opportunity. There's opportunity for good and bad. I'd like for you to catch these three things. It comes from doing right, doing wrong, and even from doing nothing. Our impact is even when we're shifting back to default. We must be very careful of that. So I'd like to address this morning principled, positive parenting. This is parenting God's way. And the sermon I gave two weeks ago, actually in my notes, is inserted right here. So go back and take that last half hour and insert it here. The parable of the sower, if we're doing things God's way, we're going to cultivate the soil to try to gain the fruit that he wants so that the word of God falls on good ground and multiplies. That's what we want to have <clears throat> as we parent God's way. There's parental discipline and maturity that happens in the parents. Uh, we see that there in Luke 8 with the parable of the sower. It's following Jesus. It's a visible faith that's lived out. And here are some phrases from that passage. Our value system is visible. It will impact the next generation. Here are the phrases. No man hides. You can't hide it. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And it says it will come to light. Fruit is visible. You see a, a crop in the field. You know something was planted. Uh, had something come up in the garden. I didn't remember planting it. And I don't even know if Jerry planted it, but there were plants in a row. And what, what do you know? We had a row of zucchini. I don't they got there. We have zucchini. It's very obvious, even though I don't remember doing it. Faith is visible. Fruit is visible. And I'm not going to continue talking about that, uh, but that is the parental discipline that is present there that we need to remember. That maturity must be present. I'd like to talk a little bit about parenting styles. This is something that uh, some of you have probably seen. If you've not, I hope you find it helpful. And I want to go to Ephesians 6, 4 in, as, to think about this. Listen to the words. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So... Dads, you're supposed to do something. And you're not supposed to aggravate your children in the process. And we do that, unfortunately. Don't provoke them. Be careful how you relate to them. Bring them up in the training and admonition. What I want to show you has to do with those two pieces of training and admonition. It has to do with the way we interact with them. Oh, here's another verse similar to it, Colossians 3. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I want to show you a graphic. Uh, who can tell me what this is? Bad memory. <laughs> From? In what class? Algebra. Algebra. This is a... I'm sorry? Okay. 
So this is a graph from a math class in which the x and y axis, uh, you assign different values and there's equations and formulas that happen. I'm putting this up because this is kind of the, the same idea. You have the vertical and horizontal lines that are continuums. Well, we're going to do that in a different way. We're going to put it out here and fill it in with different things, but we're going to end up with a quadrant. And our parenting styles end up somewhere on this page. These continuums, you have the horizontal line that deals with control and expectation. This has to do with, uh, on the one side, you've got really high expectations, high control. The other side, it's very low. You fill in the vertical, you've got the warmth and responsiveness component. Uh, how much compassion is there? Once again, very high or low. Be fascinating to know how our children would rate us on this. I've gotten just a wee bit of feedback from one of my children. Uh, but maybe you could rate yourself. How responsive, how warm are you? How controlling are you? And if you think this through, I don't know what you even think. Well, where's the ideal place to be? That's where we'd all, well, wherever's ideal, I want to be there. So just put me off in this quadrant, you know. Let's think about it. If you have, and we're going to start the upper left and come around uh, counterclockwise. Upper left, if you have high response, you're very sensitive to what's happening with the children, but you have very low expectation, you end up with a permissive situation. It, you're, you, you care about what's happening with the child, you're very attentive to their needs, and yet the expectations are low, and so it becomes mostly a child-centered world in which the parenting style is fairly permissive. One thing that's interesting is this is actually kind of a secular thing, but it intersects with Scripture. It's kind of fun when the secular people actually figure out that God's way works. Uh, this is the nurture admonition. We've got the nurture, that's the warmth, the vertical. We've got the admonition, that's the horizontal, it's the expectation part of it. Neglecting is what happens when you go the other way. You have, I'm sorry, I was saying that wrong. You, yeah, no, I had it right. It was the high, permissive is the high responsiveness, low expectation. Neglecting then is what happens when you're low on both of those. When you're not responsive, you're not in tune, you don't see what's happening with the children, you uh, don't have ex expectations for them, it becomes a situation where the children just aren't, they're not getting attention. They're not getting much of anything. They're off in their own world.
tension and warmth. Bottom right, the authoritarian. There's no warmth. I'm the boss. It's all about rules, rules, rules. There's high demand, high expectation, and you'd better be ready for the punishment and listen to what I say. If you go to the upper right, the authoritative, there's clear boundaries. Your opinion matters. High expectation, it's equally reciprocal. The parent actually has uh, high expectation for themselves in that model to do this well. Let's talk and find a way out. Can we discuss? It is assertive yet compassionate. Nurture and admonition. I think it's described in this. Here's one more graphic just for fun. This is a visual of what it might look like, and this is not in the same order, but the authoritarian in the upper left, he's just, you know, I'm the boss, you better do it. The permissive, what can I do about it? The neglecting, uninvolved, I'm just totally distracted in my own world on the looking at the screen or the book or the newspaper or whatever, and little Johnny sits on the floor wondering when do I get my shot. And then the authoritative, it's a side-by-side -side picture that creates positive relationships while enforcing the rules. I'd like to flip to talking about scriptures that I see applying to these different uh, categories. The responsiveness and warmth, we've already looked at these two scriptures. Bring your children up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Nurture and admonition. It's love with training and discipline. And the result of Colossians 3, it says, do it this way so your children aren't discouraged. Children typically don't raise themselves very well. I've known some people. I have a brother-in-law that pretty much had to do that. He was raised on the streets of Kansas City. And by a lot of standards, he's successful. But he also missed a lot of things because he was on his own from a very young age. I'm going to quickly read these verses, and this is on the discipline structure boundaries. I don't have time to elaborate on this. All of these are from Proverbs. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Chasten your son while there is hope, and do not set your heart on his destruction. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. Do not withhold correction, and I've abbreviated this, but in those two verses, this is the thought. Do not withhold correction. The end result is you will deliver his soul from hell. The implication is if you don't do it, you're setting him up for trouble. The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And this last one I find very, very encouraging because parenting is work. It takes work. It's hard sometimes. Correct your son and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. 
a lot of work that goes in the first three years, maybe even the first year and a half, will save parents countless hours and emotional struggle in later years. There's a lot of guiding that can be happened, a lot of training that can happen, and the child will never even know they were trained because it will be before they remember. They will remember some things, but there is so much that can be taught. And this next little bit, I don't have on the screens. I, I added it after I had the PowerPoint built. But please, nurture, care about your children. Train your little ones. They and everyone around them will enjoy life so much more. The sooner a child learns that the world does not revolve around them, the sooner they will be happy, pleasant to be around, teachable, socially adapted, and open to the gospel. You think about the antithesis of the disciple. It's a self-centered, proud person. And when we set up our children to not learn that basic lesson in life, that the world does not revolve around you. It has to when they're little. They can't take care of themselves. But as they grow up, we've got to teach them that basic lesson. Life is bigger than you. It's looking out. It's at the people around you. Teach children the world is larger than themselves and their immediate surroundings. Show consistent love so they can give to others. Meet their needs. Teach them to control their desires. Teach them delayed gratification. Teach that actions have consequences, both good and bad. Cultivate a teachable spirit. We learn from each other. Teach them to enjoy relationships. I should probably say they're on the teachable spirit. Along with that comes, we all think we're right. Uh, some of us men were talking about it yesterday. It, it's just a truth. We all think what we do because we think we're right. Little children are no different. They think they're right, but we've got to teach. A, we have to all learn this, big and little. We've got to learn from each other. We've got to have a teachable spirit. It's one of the things the scripture describes as a mature person, as one who is teachable. Teach them to enjoy relationships. Teach them to value older people in your lives. Teach them to care for the older generation. Teach them to do without things. You might just be preparing a missionary who will have to do without things. Model acceptance of the hard things in life. And the understanding that those things are the things that often take us from the self-life to a life of serving others. Let's talk a little bit about the security of a child. There's love and acceptance and care that provides security. There's provision. When you provide for a child, they gain security. When you protect them, that gives them security. Meeting these basic needs, and this, there's probably some other basic needs. These are three that are very applicable. The love, the care, the provision, protection. When you meet those needs, you end up with a secure child. When you don't meet those basic needs, you have insecurity. And then what happens? You end up with crying children, misbehaved toddlers, disobedient, unruly children, damaged teens, and dysfunctional adults. I'm putting it down this way because it's very easy for those of us that are around infants. 
the child cries. And we say, why are they crying? Well, they need fed, need their diaper changed, they've got a belly ache, they're cold, they're hot, they're tired. You figure out what it is and you try to meet the need. Do you know that really the other four things I listed, those dysfunctions, those expressions are just symptoms that something's not right somewhere? And we ought to view those things as opportunities. How can I see what's actually going on? How can I meet the need that's behind it? And what's even more striking in this discussion, the way that we as parents impact our children, if we do this at the infant level, it is so much easier. You meet their basic needs. If you don't get that security right, if you don't get those needs met, now you're on to the next stage. You've got the unhandy toddler, and that becomes more difficult to correct. And then if you end up with the unruly children, a little bit older, if you've not done the earlier stages right, it becomes prog progressively more difficult. And sadly, in our culture, we have hundreds of thousands of people in prison because they end up at stage five, and for some reason, it wasn't corrected earlier. And there again, it's not to say that parents can keep all that from happening, but, but if you get the picture, we, as we meet those needs, and this includes the spiritual needs, introducing them to Jesus, they have to make their faith their own as they get older. We can't do that for them, but we can lay the groundwork and we can set the path for them. Symptoms, underlying problems need corrected. Ask what is the unmet need or problem and recognize that the early stages are much easier to identify and correct, meet the needs. Life is imperfect. Life gives us baggage. Here's the good news. But with Jesus, there's healing and freedom from baggage. So no matter where you are in that journey I just described, Life's imperfect for every last one of us. I don't know of anyone who had perfect circumstances. As a result, we end up with pain and hurt and baggage, whatever you want to call it. The good news is that Jesus can heal that. Matthew eleven twenty-eight: 28, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. One of the things in the prophetic scripture, Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. And somewhere in here, we have to recognize what is the truth. Jesus said, know the truth. The truth will set you free, and that includes the freedom from this baggage. Healthy boundaries provide security. Healthy relationships provide security. And modeling Jesus provides security for the child. We must do all of those things. I'd like to shift to something that may not be familiar to you. It took, I have become accepting of this term, pressure patterns, because I understand uh, from where it came from. I heard it from John Regeer. And at first I was not sure what all I thought about it, 
because the way that he described it, some of the things he listed were not overtly wrong, and they are not. But as I thought about that more, I realized the truth of what he was saying. So basically, what are pressure patterns? The definition is going to be that it's relationship patterns that put pressure on others. There are good pressures. But I'd like to discuss this because I think this is one of the areas where, we, as parents, we impact other people, especially our children, in ways we don't always know. And so let's look at what some of these pressure patterns are, and then I want to add that component that makes a significant impact. So examples of pressure patterns uh, from parents or primary caregivers towards children, it's Dominance, control, perfectionism, high expectations, pressure to perform, self-disciplined, expressive, not talked to, self-focus, anger, critical, judgmental. All of those things can be pressure patterns that are styles of relating. Now, you'll notice some of those are not wrong. Some of those are personality-oriented. Some of those are uh, rooted in good values, and some are stemming from unresolved problems. So what happens if we have those? So one of the things that's, okay, so just recognize first of all that any of those things will put pressure on other people, particularly our children. It's okay to call them pressure. They're not all wrong. Don't hear me saying that. Some of them are actually good. But now let's introduce this component. What happens if we also have spiritual problems present when we also have those other pressure patterns? Depending on the combination, it can be very damaging, and I'd like to explain what I mean by that. So these aren't necessarily wrong things, but if you take a parent who is dominant, they have a strong personality, they're expressive, and they have high expectations, we are inserting a lot of pressure into the situation. When I first heard this, my alarm bells went off because I'm all three of those, and it scared the wits out of me. Because look what happens when you do this. When you do a dominant, expressive, high expectations plus, a spiritual problem, you've just poured gas on a fire. And you can expect there will be reaction. John Regeer says that in all the years of counseling that he has done, he has never dealt with a runaway situation that did not involve this component. And typically it comes from a high expectation home. It's like a big thumb and you can only put so much pressure, and you insert a spiritual problem, and they're out. Uh, Michael Pearl wrote a book. You've heard me talk about it, Jumping Ship. It's the same dynamic. Why do people in the conservative evangelical homeschool world, high expectations, typically patriarchal, they're doing everything right that they know of. Why did they lose so many young people? They get to age 16 and 17, and they're gone. It's this dynamic that's happening. This is one of the ways that we 
as people who follow Jesus, need to be aware of and be very careful. We should have high expectations. We should communicate to our children. It's not wrong. We should guide them. You've got all three of those elements. Even if it's not your natural personality, you should have all three of those elements. But when you do, you cannot afford to insert this. Pride, hypocrisy, anger, immorality, temporal values, bitterness, rebellion, the occult. You put any of that in and you have majorly damaged the people you're influencing. I probably sound a little passionate about it. It's because it has stirred me deeply. We as a church ought to care about this. Some of those pressure patterns have to be there. But it's why you cannot afford to live a double standard. Can't. The price will be very high. Holiness and high standards are necessary. Parents leading and loving as well is imperative. But adding unresolved spiritual issues will cause damage. I want to wrap it up here shortly with just a couple other quick thoughts. Think about the influence of emotion. Someone has said that we tend to remember things that have emotion attached to them. I don't know if you've ever analyzed that in your life. I've rolled that one a while. I actually think I'm kind of forgetful. But why do I remember certain things and other things I don't? There's a lot of reasons. But one of the things that's, that is true is when you have high emotion attached to an event, the likelihood of you forgetting it uh, goes way down. And that's either good or bad events. Good or bad memories, doesn't matter. It's on either side. The stronger the emotion, the stronger the memory tends to be. It, so it's either high emotion or repeated ingrained things. That's what creates long-term memories. And these long-term memories have long-term effects. Once again, positively, they can uh, shape children in a healthy fashion. Negative uh, it creates pain and damage that needs healing. And it, I'd be open to feedback on that one, how that's worked out for you. But that, that is an interesting principle to me, is that when you think about, how, so what can we do to help our children? Maybe this is one of the techniques. If we create positive memories and we inject positive emotion with it, it's in the realm of spiritual teaching and truth, they'll probably retain it better because it's got something positive connected to it. You have insert negative situations along with that teaching of truth, and it becomes something difficult that needs working through. So let's wrap up with this. Hallelujah, Jesus offers healing. This is not a how-to sermon. This is simply pointing you this direction. If you don't know how to gain this healing, then please, let's find it. Parents need healing. Uh, children need healing. 
We all need it. Jesus cares about our hurts and the damage that we have. We have to accept his care. We have to forgive from the heart. And there's really two things that, that I think are really key in this discussion. If you really want healing from Jesus, there's got to be forgiveness present and there's got to be repentance. Forgiveness towards others for the things that are wrong. Jesus said, you must forgive from your heart or your heavenly Father will not forgive you. You want true peace and healing? Forgive from the heart. The second piece of repentance, whatever's wrong is mine, I've got to repent of that. Ask God to help me change that. Get rid of that negative flash pan that I can insert into the normal things of life. Emotional pain, spiritual problems, they're often blended and they both need healing. We need to resolve all known spiritual problems and then highlighting the bitterness thing here at the end. Bitterness will prevent healing in our spirits and emotions. Listen to the words of Hebrew 12, Hebrews 12, and I did not put that on the screen. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that which is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully lest anyone falls short of the grace of God. And now this phrase, lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by this many be defiled. Forgiveness must be present. Repentance must be present. Bitterness must be resolved. And there can be wonderful healing. My prayer is that this topic blesses you all and allows you all to be encouraged to work well with your children, to stay in the saddle. It's hard work. But when done well, the payoff is big. And children, when you see your imperfect parents, be gracious, forgive them, and make the right choices yourself. And don't be like dad in that way. Don't be like mom in the wrong way. But pick up the good stuff. Go to Jesus and follow him with all your heart. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning, the opportunity to look at your word. We need you. We need your help. Interacting with others, raising children well is such a task. Can't be done well without you. We cry out to you for help. We pray for all of the parents present, that they would, by your grace and strength, call on you, and find that heart of love and guidance and acceptance that blends the, those characteristics right where we have grace and truth in the same spot with love. Pray for all the children that are here, even the older children, whatever baggage has been passed on, oh God, I pray for healing. I pray for the ability to go beyond it and to recognize the portions of that that can't be changed, 
just need accepted and brought under your blood and your healing power. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.